Good evening. Thank you all for being here. Glad you didn't take pastor's advice and not show up because I was preaching. No. Actually, he said the opposite, um, but it's good to see that people do show up. We're going to continue our study in Revelation, and we're going to be working on Revelation 15 tonight. Um, but I do want to, again, open in prayer just because I want God to ask God's guidance in my teaching. Um, I love studying God's word, but you know when it comes to teaching God's word, you're on the line there. I mean, the Bible tells you, you, you have to tell the truth. I mean, it has to be God's word. And Revelation's a hard book to study. Uh, pastor's spoken about this every time he's, or almost every time he's come up, in that it's, it's just, it's difficult. It's difficult to understand. It's even more difficult to teach. And I don't want to um, ever say anything that isn't the truth. So I'm going to just take a moment and pray, and then we'll uh, start the study. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time that you've given. I thank you for the opportunity you've given me to study and prepare. I ask that the Holy Spirit will just use me, use my mouth to teach the truth, to um, bring forth and, and um, explain and, and uh, uh, go through the, the, the words that we have from you, the words of, of what the future will hold and why and how that can affect our lives and how it should inspire us. We pray that you'll just bless this time, that our ears will be attentive to your, your teaching, that um, we will seek to bring honor and glory to you in all we do and say. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I'm going to ask forgiveness right up front. If I'm not paying attention to the time, get my, get my you know, wave, stand up, walk out, because I can get going and just totally forget the clock is even there. Um, yeah, that's what she used to, that's what she would do. And I can trust Henry, he'll help me. You got, hold it, does he have anything hard he's going to throw? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I just get going and I don't pay attention. I've got a lot of material. I have no idea how long it's going to take me to get through. Um, but uh, we'll start with that there. Uh, we're finishing, or we're continuing in Revelation 15, and... Um, as we've talked through a number of times, a lot of Revelation isn't chronological in order. Uh, it's not like, here's history, it starts here, it goes through here, and it ends here. There's por portions of, of um, Revelation that are kind of outside of the, the timeline, or they're looking from a different perspective. Uh, there's points where it kind of goes back and talks about the same events from a different point of view, and actually, that's what we're going to see a little bit tonight. Uh, so Revelation 14, we kind of get this broad overview. Revelation 15, we start seeing that laid out again in more detail or different details. And this is not unusual for the Bible. When you look at a lot of the teaching, a lot of the Bible, the Holy Spirit often used this format when bringing the gospel, bringing the, the, the God's word to us. You look at Genesis and you see... Genesis 1 talks about creation. Then you got Genesis 2 goes through the creation again. Of course, the Genesis 2 is focused on man, about man's sin, and it's more detailed, but it's the same story. It's not two different stories. Uh, you go in later in the Bible, you've got Exodus, and uh, then you got Deuteronomy. A lot of that material is repeated. It's the same material. It's just given from a different perspective or, or different details. We see that with... Um, the Chronicles and the Kings, it's the same time 
the same period of time, just overlapping, but one's shown from the spiritual side and one's shown from the political side. We have the Gospels. The Gospels, you have four accounts of the exact same events by four different uh, authors. They're all authored by the Holy Spirit, but through man, and each one picks different details. And we see that same thing going on right here in Revelation, where we're going to see the same events happening in two different passages. One is looking, Revelation 15, what we're going to study tonight, is looking at this event from the heavenly, heavenly perspective. This is what we see is going on in heaven. And then chapter 16, what we'll study next, will show us a lot of the same events, but they're going to look at it more from the worldly view. How is that affecting the world? And that's what we're going to do, go through those in step-by-step -step kind of look at through. Now, studying Revelation is very difficult. Teaching on it's even more. Um, one of the things I want to just express, I've studied, I've researched, I've read commentaries. What I'm going to teach tonight is just what I'm getting from it, what I'm interpreting, what I'm thinking it means. I'm not saying this is it. This, I, I'll read something, I'll study something. Um, just in, in the passages here, if I, looked at 20, if I looked at 10 different commentaries, I probably got 25 different interpretations. So I'm not saying that this is the way it is, this is what it is, I don't know it all. Um, I'm saying this is what I feel, what I believe, it can be interpreted. Uh, so with that in mind, you know, please feel free to contradict me, to teach me something new. Um, I just, I love learning. I love sitting under pastor study because I can study a passage and then hear him preach on it and say, wow, I never thought of it that way. Uh, so with that said, we'll start with Revelation 15, verses two, 1 and 2. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign. Seven angels with the seven last plagues. Last because with them God's wrath is complete. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass, glowing with fire, standing on the sea were those who had been victorious over the beast and over his image and the number of his name. Uh, now remember, we're in the second half of the tribulation. The tribulation, a seven-year period, can be divided into the first three and a half years and the second three and a half years. And there's a significance in that, in what's going on politically around the world, but there's also a very big significance in that in at that three and a half year period of time, the judgments on man, the, the, the plagues that come upon the earth are significantly increased. And there, there's where the first plagues were devastating, they were mild in comparison with what we're going to see on the last seven plagues. Uh, so with that, we also look and we see that verse one talks about the signs. And the signs were great and marvelous. Now, the word sign can also be translated as miracle or wonder. The giving of some significant image, some, something special happened, and it was used usually to teach. God used signs to um, identify his ministry, to prove that he was who he said he was. Uh, signs were given in the early church to establish the church, to show that this was from God. A, God. a sign, a miracle, is something that's outside of the norm. It's not something that could just happen. 
it's something that proves God is God of the universe and has power over nature. And here we're talking about another sign. So that brings us back to thinking about what was the first sign. Do you remember the first sign that we saw in chapter 12? The first sign is the sign of Jesus coming to earth. So here we have kind of the bookends here. The first sign is Jesus coming to earth. Here we're seeing another sign. And this sign is going to be um, God's wrath on man. So the first sign introdu introduces who Jesus is, brings Jesus to us as a way of salvation. Here we're seeing another sign, which is kind of closing that up, saying the sign has not been received or by some, and now there's going to be punishment for it. Uh, when we look at signs, a lot of them, they're kind of like object lessons. And we're going to see that uh, in, in these tribulation times, in the difficult times, in the plagues that are going to come, the plagues are coming to bring about punishment, but they're also there to bring about repentance. Uh, and, and I'll get into this a little later. I, I spent a lot of time studying because in, in all the research I've done, there's a part that we'll get to, I think, later today or later tonight, maybe next week, that I just, I read it and I looked at it and I said, I've never got that before. I never saw that before. I never understood that before. And I just spent a lot of time studying it. And the, the funny thing was, is there's not a lot of material to explain it. So I really struggled with understanding. But in God sending these signs, God sending the plagues, sending the judgment, it's not just a punishment on man. It's also the opportunity to see God at work, to recognize his power and who he is, and a time to repent, to bring. And we know that because we'll learn there are people who are saved in the, in the tribulation time. There's many people who will turn to Christ, and we'll get to that in a minute. Now, when we read the word wrath, there's two Greek words that are used in the Bible for wrath. And the one word is thinos, or thanos, and that's, that word is a, um, it's a violent rash, a passionate anger, uh, almost a rage. And then they have another word, um, orge, and that's a kind of a control. That's like, you know, there, there's a punishment, but you're completely in control. You're just working it through. You're saying, this is what's going to be. You did this, this is what's going to be. In this scripture here, the word that's used is thanos, and thanos is used uh, 11 excuse me, 10 time, 11 times in um, the New Testament. 10 of those times are only in Revelation. So we're seeing this change from just a wrath and anger to this fury. There, there's an intensity going on here. And, and that's important to see how God has gotten to the point where, where it's beyond, you know, it's, it's to the point where it needs to be taken care of. Um, God used judgment many times in the Bible. You look at it and you look at Noah's flood, the Tower of Babel, Sodom and Gomorrah, the 10 plagues of Egypt. You go to the New Testament, um, Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, you go through the Old Testament history and there's just plague after plague after plague after plague. And every time it's Israel turning away from God, God sending judgment, and that judgment to turn Israel back to God. And I think we're going to see the same thing. These plagues, they're, they're to punish. There's going to be punishment with it, but it's, its primary, its focus is 
to return to God. Um, uh, we also know that in all of the times we see God's anger, it's always righteous anger. It's always justified. Uh, God didn't just punish. God warned Israel, this is what you need to do, and if you don't, this is going to be the punishment. Uh, and then the punishment comes, and Israel realizes and come, turns back. So in, in these judgments, it's always a holy judgment, uh, and it's never uh, an out of control. It's never beyond what deserved. Uh, his judgment is righteous. It's fit for the um, offense. And then God, God gives man, in this time of revelation, God is giving man the last time they have to return to him. Uh, we're talking a three and a half year period of time. Many scholars think that this could be over a period of months that some of these um, plagues can happen. Uh, it could be a very short period of time. They can happen very close together, and it's going to be a very intense time of, of suffering for the world. God has always desired man to return to him. Uh, the Bible is just story after story after story of man turning away from God and God sending something to bring him back, uh, ultimately leading to God sending Jesus, his son, to bring us back to him. But that's, that's what the story of, that's what the Bible is. It's a story of God calling man back to him. And we see the same thing here. Uh, God calling man to turn back to him. And at times he needs to get our attention. He sends plagues. He sends uh, um, harm, dam uh, damage to draw us near to him, to draw us back to him. Uh, the, we, we learned last um, week about the everlasting gospel. And Pastor Conrad talked about it and talked the gospel has always been the same. The Old Testament, the New Testament, in the Revelation time, it's the same gospel. It's faith through Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, it was faith in the promise of the Redeemer that was going to come. In the New Testament, it's faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, anybody without faith in Jesus Christ, they're, they're going to be, they, they can be in this time of Revelation. As, as a believer, I believe we will be raptured. The church will be taken out of the world before this time. So it's so important uh, to, to know where you stand with God, to, to be saved, to, to have Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, and um, have this all settled before the time comes. So chapter 14, uh, sorry, i getting ahead of myself my notes. We read about the everlasting gospel, uh, and it is. It's the same gospel. It's the same faith. It's the same uh, thing that saved us here is going to save those in the revelation time in the, in the excuse me in the tribulation time they're going to have to come to the point where they recognize their need for Jesus and it, only at that point that they will be saved fortunately for us you know we have the gift of Jesus and if you know him as your personal lord and savior you don't have to go through the tribulation time but for the rest of them it'll be suffering it'll be difficulty uh, and God's doing this to show the inhabitants of earth that their time is close. The difference that we see in the, the Old Testament times, in the church age times, in Revelation, excuse me, in the tribulation times, is basically how is God sending that message? Uh, in the Old Testament, 
like I said earlier, it was faith in the coming Messiah. The church age, we, he used the church, the Old Testament, excuse me, he used the Jewish nation. In the church age, he's using the church. In the tribulation time, he's going to use the two witnesses. We read about that in chapter 11. The two witnesses um, tell the world the gospel very clearly, very understood, uh, and using miracles to, to prove that this is truth, that this is God's word. Then in chapter 14, we learned about the 144. The 144 are Jewish um, people who are chosen by God. They're sealed by God. They're given supernatural protection by God, and they are the witness for him around the world. And then we also saw later on in 14 of the angel flying in midair. And that angel flying in midair, the, the concept is this angel is at a high point shouting as loud as he can the gospel, telling people what you must do to be saved. And from that, we know uh, that all the world hears the gospel, and yet many of them turn and don't believe. Uh, I believe when we reread the 144, and we read this last week in, in chapter 13 or the week before, that we see they talk about how the 144 with Jesus standing um, with them, I think that's significant in showing that these 144 who are God's witnesses in the, revelation, in the tribulation time, Jesus is standing with them, just like he's with us. He's standing with them. He's protecting them. He's giving them the strength. So here we see that, that God is not just put them out and said, be a witness in this horrible time where the whole world's going to hate you. But Jesus is standing with them in this time, giving them the strength to do what they need to do. And, and I think that's just a great image of where we are. I mean, what, what's going on with, you know, in Revelation here, God doesn't leave us. God has never left. He's always been. He's always desired us to be in fellowship with him. And he continues that through, through the um, Revelation time. However, the time of repentance is coming to an end. Uh, the opportunity for people to live for Christ, for, to, to know him, to serve him, uh, it's come to an end. It's, it's at the point now that people are going to reject that. They're not going to accept him. They're not going to follow him. They're going to go their own way. They're even going to see, I mean, you'll see in Revelation, it talks about how they cursed the God who sent the plagues. Well, they knew, you have to know the God who you're cursing if you're going to be cursing, and yet they still cursed him and turned from him. However, the time of repentance come to the end, and here we have the final judgments. We also read that, that the phrase, God's wrath is complete. And that literally means that it's bringing to an end. So these last seven bold judgments, and with them, God's judgment, his punishment on mankind, uh, it's coming to the point where the wrath is going to be poured out. And it's going to be poured out to the point where it's exhausted. You know, it's finished. It's, it's, all, it's all gone. It's done. And, and I think that's... There's, there's two things here that, that you see is one in that it's going to be a massive amount. For, you know, for 4,000 years, if you, if you consider that God judged the world at, at, the, um, at the flood, we've had 4,000 years of, of sin, corruption, everything against God. And he's held that wrath for 4,000 years. It's a testimony to God's long suffering. But you also realize that is all been stored up. And in this time where it says it's bringing to an end, 
it's saying that's all going to be poured back. It's all going to be put out. And uh, that's, that's just a devil. I mean, that, and you think about that, 4,000 years of man's sin in a three and a half year period of time is going to be poured out on the earth. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it's justified. It's not that man did things that, you know, oh, well, it could have been. No, this is justified. God told man not to do it. Man knows not to do it. And yet they're still going to, um, you know, God's going to just pour that out in a short period of time. And um, it's going to be the point where it's all done. He's empty. He's, his, his wrath is finished. And now he no longer has that wrath against man. And then we kind of can start fresh. So the next passage, the next portion of the passage, it talks and it says what looked like the sea of glass glowing with fire. And this is, again, a lot of time you'll get many, many commentaries and discussions on what this means. Well, first we have to realize when, when um, he talks about what looked like, that's a key for us to understand. This is something he cannot explain. This is nothing, something he cannot describe. So he's using the words what looked like to tell us that this is some sort of symbol, some, some sort of idiom to help him explain in what he knew something that was unexplainable for him. Uh, you know, they, they use simple like, you know, um, something we have today that they wouldn't have. And, you know, how, how would Paul explain, a, a, um, you know, an airplane? Or how would John explain a, a car or something like that? Well, this is so far beyond that because this is talking about things on a spiritual realm. And to explain, you know, well, you know, okay, so if I, I've never seen an airplane, but I'm going to explain an airplane, well, I've got stuff like a bird that I can relate it to. What, what's going on here, it's so far beyond explanation that there is nothing to explain it. There is nothing to relate it to. So he's doing his best. So we have to remember, this is not something that we probably can even understand. It's not like we can say, oh, I know what an airplane is. It's kind of like an airplane. No, this is even something that we would not be able to describe uh, because it just, it's beyond our comprehension. So in doing that, the best we can do is to take it and kind of relate it to what it could be. And there's many, like I said, there's many commentaries which will interpret this differently. Uh, just a few of them, they talk about the sea. And of course, the sea brings us back to Revelation 4, 6, where it was talking about the sea of glass. Um, the sea and the fire are often symbols of purification. Uh, the sea could relate to the Red Sea that the Israelites walked through. It could also be related to the Bronze Sea or the, the Bronze Basin in the temple. You had the, 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 between the altar and the tabernacle, you had the Bronze Sea. They're both images or symbols of purification, um, representing God's deliverance, God's separation. Uh, for the New Testament uh, Christian, it would be like the Word of God. So some, some um, teachers say that the sea they're standing on is the word of God. And they're standing, the Christians are standing on the word of God. And that uh, it's the faith in the word of God that they stand on. And then the um, purification is that Jesus 
blood through the, through the um, that they're standing on Jesus and Jesus' blood. Uh, and again, you just have to realize this is not, it, it, this is not something we can just say, this is what it means. You know, it's not like you can go back to the Old Testament and its history and there was a battle and they won the battle and this is how they won the battle. This is talking about things that are beyond our comprehension. But the best we can say is, well, there's imagery here and he's trying to portray what these images are and these are some of the solutions. So take it as, this is my interpretation, my research, my understanding, and they're just possible explanations that this sea of glass could be the, the um, could be representing God's deliverance, uh, God's word, and that they're standing on it. And then the fire, when we talk about fire, often the Bible refers to fire, and it's a, a um, statement of judgment. Um, we talk about how we go through the fire, they're purifying us. So the fire often talks about judgment. So if we take that same symmetry here, that same symbolism, and say that they're seeing this sea, this crystal on sea, and it's mixed with fire. And that could be the judgment, uh, could be the judgment that's about to come. Like when you see the sun, sunset or the sunrise in the water and you see the sun reflecting, that could also be what's going on where we're seeing the judgment that's about to come is reflecting on God's word. Uh, again, you just have to understand this is Uh, now we see those who did not follow the beast in heaven. And um, again, I study this and I think, is this, does this include the 144? Is this separate from the 144? The Bible doesn't specifically say, but when we look and we see that the first bold judgment, which we're going to study in chapter 16, it talks about that it didn't affect those who didn't have the mark. And then um, you hear, we, we read earlier in 14 about the 144, and how the 144 were sealed and protected. I think the 144, or at least most of them, are still on earth. And I think this, this mass of people that we're seeing up there are the people who were saved in the revelation time, or the tribulation time. The, the tribulation saints are now standing before God, and they're under God's protection, they're under God's blessing. More important that we um, want to note here is that the Bible says they're standing in victory. And I think that's, that's the important part because these are, these are people who have gone through the tribulation. How did they get through the tribulation? Not taking the mark. What did not taking the mark meant? Most likely it meant that they were murdered, they were killed, they were martyred because they didn't take the mark, because they followed Jesus. And in, in our worldly perspective or worldly view that would be you know um, defeated they they were defeated but here God says no they were the victors they might have died they might have been martyred they might have been killed but they are the victors uh, and that's that's important because that just shows the worldly perspective versus the heavenly perspective and of course we're looking from the heavenly perspective in this this passage uh, then we we read that they kept their song and there was no bitterness in them. And again, that's just um, you know, significant to think. They kept their song and there's no bitterness. These are the people who were martyred in the, the tribulation time, and yet they didn't have bitterness. And I, the only way you cannot have bitterness through that is with Jesus. I, I just, I don't see 
any other possible interpretation of them having no bitterness other than because it's Jesus, because they had Jesus. And then I'm going to finish up with, uh, with um, verse 2 and just get into verse 3 and 4. They held harps given to them by God, and they sang songs, and they sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways. King of the nations, who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you. Your righteous acts have been re revealed. So here we see the song of Moses and the Lamb. Uh, the song of Moses refers back to uh, the song Moses sang after he crossed the Red Sea. It's a song of victory over Pharaoh. Uh, it's found in Exodus 15, verses 1 through 12, 21. And it's a song speaking of God's deliverance, of salvation, of um, uh, faithfulness. And then we have the Song of the Lamb. And the Song of the Lamb uh, is the song of Jesus Christ as the Redeemer. And we read, that, read about that in Revelation 5. So here we have the first song and the last song of the Bible. The first song recorded by the Bible, the last song of the Bible. And here we have these saints, these tribulation saints, singing that song. And um, some commentaries think it's two different songs. Some say it's one song. Uh, I think when you look at the wording here, uh, I think it's, it's one song that unites the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Uh, I think it's bringing together, because we are talking... You know, the, 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 the rapture pulled out the Christians, so you've got the Jewish saints, you've got the Jewish people being the witness. They're bringing the gospel to these people. These people are um, dying in the tribulation. I think it's bringing together the old covenant, the new covenant, into uh, their, their salvation. And then it's also interesting to note that when you look at a lot of the other times, it says they sang a new song. And for different saints in the Bible, they had a new song. A new song meaning it was new, it was unique, it was different to them. But here, it doesn't say it's a new song. It says they sang their song. And again, I think that brings me back to the belief that this is the, the old and the new covenant being brought together, and they're singing it in worship to God. And what is the song about? It's about God's greatness, about his deeds, that he's just and true, that he's king, that everyone will fear him, and that he's holy and his acts are rightness. The song is totally focused on God, uh, on Jesus Christ. Uh, and it's coming, again, this is just you know, significant in, it's coming as a prelude to the judgment that's about to happen, and it's coming from the people who were martyred by those who are going to be judged. You know, so it's just this, this um, uh, I'm sorry I blanked on the word, but it, it's just the, the um, justice of these are the people who suffered under the tyranny, under the murder, under the um, difficult times of those living in the tribulation, those under the, under the beast's control and uh, acting on the beast's behalf, and here the beast is going to be judged 
and who's praising God saying he is just and his, his, his acts are righteous are the people who uh, were, were um, put under the, 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 the yoke of that difficult time. I don't know if I want to continue on. The next verse goes into five, and then it gets quite long. Um, I think I'm going to try to cut it there for the night. I'm a little early, uh, but I tend to ramble when I get going. Now you know preaching is not my gift. <laughs> I, I, I like to study. I don't mind teaching. Preaching is not my area. But um, Any questions, any comments, any thoughts? With that, well, I've got, I've got a thought on the uh, verse two, fifteen two. Shall something like the sea of glass stand on fire? Those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, over his mark, over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass. Thank you, Pastor Jeff. Reading my notes here, let's just go back and see Revelation. Well, it, when we go on and study uh, in the next verses, um, we talk about, uh, let's see, the, uh, verse 5, the following verse. The verse 5 talks about the tabernacle and the covenant, and this is why I kind of stopped here because it gets into a whole lot more, but when you read, so verse 5 says, after this I looked and saw in heaven the temple, that is the tabernacle of the covenant law, and that goes back to the Exodus 25, 8, and 9 that you talked about. So when Moses was, Moses was instructed to build the tabernacle, he wasn't just given the instructions. When you read that Exodus 8 and 9, then, I had, then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make the tabernacle and all its structures exactly like the pattern I showed you. So Moses was not told make the sanctuary this way. And that's just the, the verb. Moses was shown the sanctuary in heaven, the sanctuary where God exists in heaven. And he was told, that's the way you want to do it. So it wasn't like God just said, make this. God showed him his dwelling place in heaven and then told him to build it. So that goes back to that interpretation. What is that glass? Uh, it could be just that is the way he saw heaven. Um, I, like I said, I, I, got, I, I don't tend to say, I know what it is. I, I'll tell you right out, I don't know what it is. Yeah, they, 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 that could be just... Yeah. They saw the sea of glass. Yeah. 
And, and it, it can, it can be, that could literally just be the description of that portion of heaven. And God's throne room in heaven is surrounded by a sea that, of glass. Uh, you know, again, so much of Revelation is, is imagery. And you somehow have to come to the point and figure out, is this an image of what he actually saw? And that's exactly what it was. Or is this an image to represent something. And like I said, a lot of scholars take that key, what looked like to help us recognize this could be him trying to explain something that he can't explain. Well, is it that he can't explain a sea of glass because he's never seen something so large, so perfectly clear, so perfectly uh, flat, or is this because it's more there? But uh, yeah, it's an interesting, interesting point to tie those all back together and see. This could be just exactly what heaven looks like. We could have a glimpse, a window into heaven in that it's going to look like that. But we do know that the tabernacle on earth was modeled after the tabernacle in heaven, which was God's dwelling place. Any other thoughts? Well, with that, I'll close this in prayer. I'm sure I'm making you anxious for Pastor to come back. And <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day you've given us, the opportunity to just open your word and uh, study it. I pray that the Holy Spirit will take the words that were said, uh, my feeble words, and just continue to um, help us to understand, to help us to apply, to help us to um, discern and, and uh, from that, we will grow closer to you, we'll grow in our understanding of who you are, uh, we'll um, strengthen and grow in our faith and our trust in you. I ask that you'll be with us as we go from here, give us safety and comfort and uh, provisions. We do want to lift up those in need that were mentioned earlier, and then the, 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 um, those who are in Israel, as they, they explore, as they see, as they look at the the land where you were, where you came to earth, where you chose to dwell uh, for your, your short period of time to be with man, that they might just be able to um, appreciate all that you've seen, what you've done, and uh, it might become more real to them. And I pray that they'll bring that back to us and excite us as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.